Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision Show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keelior, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a fun show for you guys today. We've seen 11 practices of USC's fall camp, so we'll share our takes and our thoughts and our observations. We'll talk about USC's quote-unquote most physical week this week. Clay Helton previewed the week as uh, the most physical week USC will have in August. They're going four days of full pads and a scrimmage on Saturday, so we'll talk about what we've seen. Uh, we'll also preview scrimmage number two in the Coliseum on Saturday. Shotgun, you and I were there for the first Coliseum practice or scrimmage, I should say. Uh, so we'll give you our thoughts on that. Injury updates. There's been some movement and Shotgun, you are very studiously taking notes each practice, each presser uh, about those updates. So we'll be sure to give those to you guys. And you can call us 5124-TUNNEL. We love hearing from you. Our intern Micah is standing by to screen your calls. And wherever you're watching, Periscope, YouTube, or Facebook, please put your questions, comments, and concerns. We love hearing from you guys. And hopefully later on we can put your uh, your comments on the screen. We have a little bit of technical difficulty, so we'll try and fix yeah. that so we can. I got a little blue screen of death in front of me. See if it recovers. And if we get, if it does, we'll put your comments up on the screen on Facebook yeah. and, uh, and uh, YouTube. No one likes the blue screen of death. Also, no. you can tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision, and I'll put your tweet up on the screen. You don't have to mention our handles. Just put hashtag TunnelVision, and I will pull it up. But guys, like I said, 11 practices in for USC's fall camp. I guess first off, Shotgun, you and I noted how the energy felt a little off on Saturday in the Coliseum, but it was interesting how USC bounced back on Monday for another full pads practice. It seemed like they responded well. Yeah, that's a nice way to put that they didn't have a good scrimmage on Saturday, and then they did bounce back from it. And one of the things that I thought was a really a, a nice upgrade and a nice adjustment was changing practice, you know, and not just going and saying, okay, well, we had a bad practice, but let's just get back to the routine. On Monday, they came back, and instead of their normal routine that they have and the normal practice plan that they have, they decided to scrap seven-on-seven seven and kind of the O-line, D-line, one-on-ones, 
go straight to team, get more opportunities, more reps. Now, it wasn't full tackle the entire practice, but there was a, a team tackle period, and the offensive line came out after you know kind of struggling on Saturday with, with running the ball and having inconsistency there. Had a 70-yard run on the first play from Vavai Melapei. And then you know just adding extra team opportunities. And one of the things Clay Helton said is they need to get some more opportunities, more live reps for those young quarterbacks. And you know they got a ton of opportunities on Saturday. And I don't think that the coaches were very happy with what happened on Saturday, just the overall energy, the vibe of that, that scrimmage in the Coliseum. It just didn't fit the location and the you know being in the Coliseum, uh, the setting of it. I think, Keely, is the way that, that you put it on the podcast. Yeah, the environment. Yeah, the environment you know, just didn't feel like a Coliseum scrimmage. It just felt like, eh, ho-hum, another – it felt kind of like a spring practice that just happened to be in the Coliseum instead of you know having that intensity. And I think they bounced back and – Monday and Tuesday both, I think there was much more intense practices. Yeah, I liked uh, Monday was kind of fun. First of all, we don't get to see the offensive linemen up close very often. They did a cool drill. They brought out the offensive tackles over right in front of the media pen. They brought the safeties and the nickelbacks, and they let them do uh, pass rush drills. So if you ever watch one-on-ones with the line, they usually go like tackle, guard, center, guard, tackle. It just went tackle, 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 tackle. It was just back and forth, back and forth. And they had guys rushing on the outside, and uh, we got to talk to uh, uh, Clay McGuire about that a little bit. He said it was really mostly for the defensive backs. They were trying to, you know, simulate what would be happening in a game when you're rushing off the edge. But he said it was really helpful for the offensive linemen as well when you ever have to kick out and pick up that blitzer that's coming in uh, off the edge. So that was a really fun kind of drill. And like Shotgun said, they mixed practice up. You didn't see the seven on seven. They did more kind of team stuff, and it gave some more opportunities for some, you know, some thud, some tackling. Um, but I, I thought it was more physical. I, th- I would have liked to see like the Oklahoma drill, the Trojan drill, they call it. We haven't seen that yet. And then on Tuesday, yesterday, another full pads day became the Michael Trigg show. So that was fun too. So there, there's been some fun days of practice, I think, after uh, the sort of letdown in the call scene where you didn't, where you didn't see some of the stars come out and play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the things that, you know, there were some guys limited uh, Drake London seemed to be a little bit banged up, but he didn't do anything. Keaton Slowis only played a couple drives. Brett Nealon only played a couple drives. Chris Steele only played a couple drives. And maybe partially it's there's some injury issues there. But uh, I said on the Family Feud pod that it, it felt like that carried over into the rest of the team. Just not having those stars out there to kind of, you know, to push people a little bit more. It felt like, you, you know, after those guys weren't practicing or, you know, came out pretty early – it was pretty lackadaisical the rest of the way. There just there wasn't the same intensity that you would expect. And when you don't have Drake London going against Chris Steele, that's going to be an intense matchup. Yeah, you know, Chris Steele talked a little bit about that today. How you know it's a Blitnikov versus a Thorpe. You know, they want to be <laughs> finalists for that. They want to win those awards. But that's what it is. It's that that mano a mano type of battle that you had with Juju and Adori and you know some of the the greats that USC has had. And when those guys aren't out there, it just, I think it creates a tip, a, a completely different environment and different vibe to a practice when you don't have, you know, those dudes that you look at and you kind of marvel at what they can do. And when they're going matched up, you know, those are the type of things where you, you turn on YouTube, you want to watch, you know, the, these unique and, and elite matchups. You don't necessarily want to watch the threes going against each yeah. other. Yeah. And that's what the, the practice, it felt like it just didn't have the energy and it didn't carry over. And I think that probably played into it as well. You know, having Drake Jackson and full pads helped a little bit yep. too to see him. And Shotgun noted his very first play when we went up to the, the Aquatic Center perch to watch. He got a big tackle for loss on a run play. And it was just like, oh, Drake Jackson's back. Uh, I love it. I, I mean, I thought it was a great opportunity for Hunter Eccles and Juliano Falonico to 
uh, get some you know reps there. And I think I think both of those guys played well. I like way, what Eccles is doing out there, but they got options now. You put you know Jackson out there. You put Corey Foreman on the other side. Um, yeah, there's some interesting options there on the on the edge for USC. But having him back gives you a little more energy, I think. Yeah, well, Drake was fully acclimatized now. This is the first week we got to see both Corey and Drake together in in a rep. What did you take away from that? I know a lot of USC fans are chomping at the bit for that. Well, Corey was a, like, slowed a little bit because of that groin thing. And even just watching him do some of the defensive uh, line drills, he just seemed like not quite there. But it's funny, like Shotgun noted, if you're watching practice and you see Corey Foreman, he is right next to Vic Soto. And a lot of times, especially when Drake uh, wasn't um, was fully acclimated and couldn't do a lot of the stuff, he was right there too. So he's your most talented guy coming in on the defensive side of the ball. He's trying to be a sponge and absorb everything out there. But it was fun to kind of see them as bookends because we're probably going to see that a bunch this year. But it was neat to see it in practice. Yeah, I think it was great to see you know the, that opportunity for those guys to be on opposite ends and see with Tulatu Pelotu and Nick Figueroa can be a dangerous front four, and especially in those pass rush type of situations. I think it's as important and probably or actually more important to see what he did the day that he wasn't able to practice. So on Monday when they, you know, they came back and they had a, you know, a, a better practice I thought and you know had better team periods, Corey Foreman wasn't available. You know, he's been bothered by a little bit of a growing strain, Clay Helton said, and you know, he decided they decided to to hold him back a little bit. Now he's been back the last couple of practices. But seeing him how invested he is. And this is something we've seen during practices as well. When he's not in a drill, he is right beside Vic Soto. And now with Drake Jackson back, when Drake Jackson's not in, he's right there in between those two guys. So, you know, being able to, to absorb everything he can, like you said, being a sponge, but he's got to get caught up. You know, he because he didn't come in in the spring, and that's something that I asked Todd Orlando about it. He said he's, he's doing a great job progressing, but because he didn't come in the spring, he's, you know, that much further behind and trying to play catch up. And he's doing a great job of, you know, trying to get as, as many mental reps as he can when he's not out there. So, you know, it's great to see how invested, you know, a number one player in the country when, when he signed with USC that he, he cares that much. Yeah. Because a lot of times, the number one player, you can say you can rest on your laurels potentially, and you know that has not been the case for him. He has been, you know, grinding the entire time, trying to make a make a name for himself. And in the scrimmage, he was one of the guys that did stand out. You know, he had a couple of pass breakups. He was in the backfield, you know, with his pass rush a couple of times. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. How quickly along can he get the full playbook and be ready to go by the time the season uh, starts? Is he going to be in there for a subset, you know, a sub package because that's what he knows? Um, or, you know, can he grasp everything and then, you know, be ready to, you know, whatever they throw at him, be ready to go. Yeah. Now, just jumping back to the offense, uh, something we've been talking about on podcasts and on instant analysis, who's going to be USC's second receiving option after Drake London? Ryan, I know you are searching for another wide receiver guy to be your guy. I need a man crush. You do? Uh, <laughs> so I had one, like, coming out of high school, Kyle Ford. I don't think I can abandon him. Like, I just don't want to break up with him. Now, he had a couple knee surgeries, which, you know, but he's looked really good. I, what, I think, what did Chris say? Chris Trevino says he looks like a tight end from the waist up. I mean, he is a bigger body out there. Now, maybe not as thick down low like as some of the tight ends, but you just look at him. He just looks like a different dude, like especially when we're from far away. Like, he looks wider than those other guys. Um, but, man, his hands are so strong. The ball gets near him, and he snags it. He had some really great practices yesterday. Uh, he wasn't able to go with the team stuff. I wasn't out there today. I don't know if he was. He did a little bit. A little yeah. bit. A little not, bit of stuff. Full. But to me, I mean, he's looked every part of being a former five-star. And I know people forget about him because he's had the, the couple knee surgeries. He seems like he feels confident when I watch him running around. I don't see any hesitation. 
And yeah, just practice. But man, he's going out and making plays, you know, contested catches. So there's some guys you watch when they're they're kind of come back from an injury, like, yeah, I'm not sure that's gonna end up working. But it's you know, I don't see any restrictions from him. So I think he's gonna be great. I mean, Joseph Manjack's the one that everyone's talking about, and he's just like a ridiculous the only time he didn't catch the ball yesterday when we were at practice is they were running drills on two sides of the field and the tight end from the left side was hanging around the field too long and Manjack cuts across, beats his guy. The ball's like a little behind him so he has to like try to make this acrobatic catch behind him and then runs right into the tight end who's from the other drill who wasn't supposed to be there and it jarred the ball loose. So that was the only way he didn't catch a ball. But he's been good. I mean, Michael Jackson had an awesome over-the-shoulder catch uh, yesterday. It was a, you know, and you know we know Taj Washington. There's doesn't catch the ball every time, and you, I know receivers. You want him to catch the ball all the time, but man, he's so fast. He makes he makes those moves like when he beats a guy on the one on ones, and everyone you can hear the like Gavin Morris and everyone on the offensive side. Ooh, you know, and you know he just made a move and burned a guy. But there's some really good options. But I think I'm gonna be in the the Kyle Ford camp uh, to be out there and uh, be the number two guy. So all those guys you mentioned, I feel like all of them have had their ups and had their downs yeah. so far in camp. You know, it's been inconsistent, and that's been the, the biggest thing. I talked a little bit with Seth Daigie about, you know, how they're going about potentially finding that inside receiver or tight end, whichever one they decide to use. You know, who's going to be option two, three, four behind Drake London as far as the receiving options? Are they going to use two tight ends? Are they going to split Michael Trigger? There's a lot of different options they have. Yeah. Malcolm Epps comes back. He's a guy they could split out as well. So they got a lot of options, a lot of different styles of weapons as well. Gary Bryant Jr., we saw some positive things from him, you know, being able to get in there and do some a little bit of work today, you know, in drills. Not fully back. Him and uh, Darwin Barlow and Keontae Ingram, positive injury news there. All three of them back, you know, doing some position drills, not back in the full team set yet. But you have a lot of different weapons, different styles with the speed of Gary Bryant, Taj Washington, uh, and Katie Nixon, uh, the veteran Katie Nixon in there. Kyle Ford's a guy that's been around for a long time. He's soaked up everything from Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughns and those guys. Big body guy. So you got some different types of options, but everyone's kind of been a little bit up and down. You know, no one has been consistent across the board outside of Drake London yeah. and John Jackson. John Jackson has he's been, been, good. Has yeah, been for super sure. consistent for them. Now, he's not the same athlete. He doesn't have the same size as some of the other guys, but he runs every route exactly how the coaches want. They, you know, I, I talked to Daigie about him, and he said he's basically like a Swiss Army knife. We can put him in any position we want to, and he, we know that he's going to know exactly what he's supposed to do. He's going to run the right route. He's going to run the right depth. He's not going to be cutting things short. And I think so he's been the most consistent guy, but where everybody else has kind of been up and down. And one of the interesting things that Daigie said to me was that it just takes one practice. And he mentioned Drake London last year was struggling a little bit during during fall camp and just wasn't able to get on the same page as, as Keaton Slovis. And then they had a scrimmage. All this, obviously, we never saw him this, but had a scrimmage, and he, and he makes a ridiculous kind of a throw was behind him. He goes back and makes a one-handed catch on it and said from there, it just took off. His confidence took off, and it just took one play, one good practice. And I think we've seen that from Michael Trigg. Not yesterday, but two or three days ago, just making some plays, and you yeah. feel like his confidence is growing. And then yesterday has a monster day. The the run that they put on social media today, uh, you know, catching and making. I think it was seven guys, seven different guys missed, yeah. and maybe one of the two of them twice. <laughs> so it was a ridiculous run. And then he has another great catch, uh, you know, going up and mossing a, a, a DB in the corner, <laughs> and you see his confidence grow. And Daigie says, you know, some of these other guys they just need that one day, you know, one big catch, you know, one one handed play or whatever it may be to give them that confidence, and you'll see it kind of grow upon itself. So 
So I think that's what we're kind of waiting and seeing. I think a lot of those guys, Trigg has probably been the guy, at least this week, that's kind of stepped forward as a number two receiving option more than any of the other guys, you know, with making some big plays and whatnot. Now where he fits, can he block as a tight end? Do you split him out all the time? How much does he know the playbook? All those are still questions, but as far as playmaking, he's been the guy stepping up behind uh, Drake London right now. While we're on the topic of receivers, we actually got a question from Mark on YouTube who says, does Kyle Ford look like he's fully back to being the guy who dominated at the opening again? Yeah, he was the MVP of the opening. Yeah, 15 touchdowns. That's why I had the man crush. I was like, dude, this guy's amazing. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, he's – it's it's hard to compare from a couple years ago, like when he was in high school doing all that kind of stuff. But he looks as healthy as I've seen him since he's been at USC. It just seems like he carries himself with a lot more confidence when you're watching him out there. Uh, playing so yeah, I mean that, the fact that he was slowed the last couple of days probably not a great sign. But if he's if he's healthy, you know I think the knee stuff is going to be okay. Um, yeah, I think he, the sky's the limit for him. I think he, you know you're not looking at him going, oh yeah, it just doesn't seem like to have it like he did before. Uh, for for me, it looks like he's he's still got it. Nassen on YouTube also said, "How serious should we be taking Michael Jackson at wide receiver?" Second serious, dude. Like he's he's legit. Um, I mean. The Vegas guy, he's he's really good. He, I think he can help in uh, the return game. Uh, he's making you know good plays uh, all the time, you know. And uh, I think like shocking like all of them, there's some ups and downs, but he's definitely had his share of ups. Mm-hmm. Him being here in the spring has really helped push him forward. I think um, he consistently. He's a guy that, and Deggy mentioned him actually by name, as a guy when you turn on the tape, like you see, he just makes a spectacular play every day, whether it's, you know, just leaving a DB in the dust or or making a catch that he probably shouldn't make. Um, you know, he's kind of a, an Amon Ross St. Brown light. Uh, and will he have the same impact that Amon Ross St. Brown had as a true freshman? I don't know if that's the case, but the door is open. You know, it's Drake London and question marks. So, you know, and the thing that they're looking for is that consistency, consistency of production. That's the way that I believe Seth Dagey put it with me uh, is that, you know, who who's going to step up and produce day in and day out and going forward rather than having those ups and downs, the peaks and valleys. They, you know, there are definitely a lot of talented guys that have high upside. But they want someone who's going to produce, and that's why Josh Jackson, this guy, has definitely stood out to me. Yeah, I mean, you or got John Jackson, excuse me. Yeah, and like Gary Bryant Jr. was looking great in the beginning, yep. and then you know we haven't seen him for a while, so it's sort of like, what does Chris say? You can't make this, can't make the club in the tub. Yeah. Can't make the club in the tub. Yeah. So I mean, the consistency of everyone outside of Drake London just hasn't been there. But the good thing is, there's a lot of good options, and we've seen them all perform well so you get one or two of them to stay healthy for the year and they can be a consistent option for you and that's been one of the things for that group is just that's hurt the consistency is that some guys have been dinged up a little bit yeah now i've talked to shotgun about this so ryan i'm curious about your thoughts we had a comment from andrew who says watch that video of trig and there was some awful tackling going on i feel like this is a case of identifying who is glass half full versus glass half empty it's a camp video. I feel like you should take, like, just enjoy Michael Trigg making a fun play. It's practice. It's fall camp. Like, yeah, there was a bunch of freshmen out there. But you, this is a true freshman kid who flew all the way from Tampa, Florida to come to Southern California. He's trying to figure out where he fits in the world. You know, he's a <laughs> freshman in college and, you know, makes a one-handed grab. And then, like, all of a sudden, like, oh, I guess I got to run and starts running and... <laughs> Uses his big body and like I gotta run now. bounces off some dudes and starts breaking tackles and just you're like can't you I just enjoy that like I think that's just a great 
play that, yeah, like not everyone's going to make every single tackle every time. You don't look at that video and go, oh, my God, USC is the worst tackling team ever. I don't think that's the take you want to take away from that. You want to go, Trigg's a big dude, and he, he truck, trucked some guys, and that was fun. And then carried some guys as yeah. well. <laughs> and, and your comment, I mean, the way you put that, you know, and I, oh, I got called about, now what did I do? I run? It, that makes me think of like Varsity Blues when Billy Bob gets the ball in his hand. He's like, oh, I got the ball. Now what do I do? And yeah. he also carried some guys in the end zone of that play. So at the end of the play, Trick did look kind of like that. Um, no, stop being so negative. <laughs> yeah. It's not like, he, okay, if it was a walk-on that did this against the first defense, that should be your take. Yes. That is the take. The defense is not ready. Look, this walk-on is doing that to them. When it's a true freshman, doing it against some other true freshmen that are trying to make a mark and over-pursuing a ball because they're trying to get out there, make a play, trying to do probably a little bit too much instead of breaking down. And there were several true freshmen in that play. Honestly, Kanaya Malga comes in at the very end and helps make the tackle. And Juliana Falanico was in on the tackle as well at the end. But besides that, I think everyone else on the play was a true freshman that, that gets a broken tackle, missed tackle on it. Yeah. So, and part of it also is he's 240 pounds. And Sierra Wright, <laughs> being a true freshman, he's undersized. He's like 160 pounds, I think. And he tries to make a tackle, and he bounces off of him. Yeah. That's going to happen when you have 60 pounds on somebody or 80 pounds, whatever it is. So, you know, I, I think that if you're looking at it and just going, this tackling is terrible, you got your priorities wrong yeah. with this type of play. When it's yeah. a highlight like this in a practice with all freshmen, you, you point out the positive because that's what you're looking for out of your freshmen, not necessarily just demeaning them, you know, because of their poor tackling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You never would like anything from practice if this is the case. It's like anything that does someone good, you're like, oh, it sucks. The other side didn't do that, you know? It's yeah. Like, the yeah. play where Trigg then later, you know, mosses Prophet Brown. Are you going to blame Prophet Brown because yeah, great you know, he's giving up yeah. five inches to Michael Trigg? <laughs> he had great coverage. He just, he got to do a better job of getting his hands down or whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever it may be. No, there's always going to be a positive and negative at every practice play when you're having a competitive period. So yeah. you can choose to look at it either way. However, I think it goes back to if it was a walk-on versus first team is much different than true freshmen making a great play against a lot of other true freshmen. They're yeah. only going to get better. And that's going to be something that Todd Orlando and Craig Nivar are going to be in those guys' ears and in their butt during the film study going – this is not the way we need to tackle and working on it and stuff. I, I think one of the things and I meant to ask Todd Orlando, I wrote it down and I forgot to, to ask him today, is that it feels like there's been a more more emphasis on tackling. And Keely told me to hold my role last week when I told her this um, and said, let's see if it carries on to week two. But I don't know. What do you guys think? Have we? Do you feel like there's been more of an emphasis on tackling, on the form of tackling, the angles of tackling? It just seems like every day we're seeing some different type of tackling drills. And maybe it's still too early, like Keely said. Uh, to see if they carry that on. But I, I feel like they've really – that's been a big emphasis for the safeties, for the linebackers, uh, and for the cornerbacks. Go ahead, Kayla. I'll go after Well, I was just saying, when I said slow your roll, it was because we've seen USC have an emphasis on physicality in fall camp and, like, up to when it starts to get ready for kickoff, and then they kind of take it back. That's what my comment was because, as everyone knows, the emphasis mock game week where it actually was pretty <laughs> physical, and then we never really saw that peak that, that high again the rest of the season. That's what I'm referencing, Shotgun. But I do think, I mean, we, we've seen up close and personal personal Craig Nivar really talk about all the tackling techniques same with Dante Williams so uh, from other years where we've, been, where we've been able to stand out on Howard Jones it's definitely a difference in that sense yeah I mean it just fundamentally it looks like they're a better tackling team right now I actually talked to coach Harvey Hyde about this on our podcast on Monday and he was out at the scrimmage and he was like I'm not seeing the kind of missed tackles that we would have seen before in some of these practice situations and he felt like 
this looks like a team that was taught more fundamentals of tackling. So that was his as a longtime coach. That was his take on the on that. And I, I would agree with him. It seems like that's not a big of an issue. So that's why I was like, overall, we've seen, I think, better tackling. Yeah. There was one play that was just some crazy highlight play. I wouldn't just, you know, blame the whole defense. Yeah. They're all terrible at tackling. And I think that that uh, it's it's there's been other plays where they're not showing those highlights, but there was a really great play. I think it was yesterday. Chase Williams was out in space against one of the running backs and just perfect form tackle um, on a play that if he misses the tackle, there's 15, 20, 25 yards to be gained. But just breaking down, he's a guy that, that has missed some angles in the past. I remember the Washington game where he missed one and, and turned into a big long run. Um, but seeing him out there, he's made a bunch of plays. I talked with Chris Thompson about it today. And, you know, I, I, I said, you know, Craig Nivar is on you pretty hard. And he said, that's the type of coaching I want. I want to be coached up like that. So I, I think that shows you that the, the kids are really appreciating all, all the, the work that the coaches are putting in. And I think it's a good sign that that was an issue last year, especially at the very beginning. And, you know, we expected that after the, the uh, break before the, the pandemic and everything. But they're addressing the issues that's I think is is huge because there's been it's been so many years it feels like where there seems to be just blatant issues issues are right in front and center and just been like let's go around that let's yeah, work like, on this mm. other thing over here yeah exactly um, and I think they're really addressing and the way they came back from Saturday's lackluster scrimmage and said Monday okay scrap the seven on seven scrap the you know the the flag football type stuff let's go full pads and let's go you, you know even though they're not tackling they were thudding but let's go full full force full throttle and do live 11 on 11 stuff again i think that's a great adjustment that we haven't seen in the past i think it's also a credit to the defensive staff and their mindset i feel like a phrase we keep hearing when talking to them is that the team is fully or the defense is fully bought into their style and their style of defense or style of run and hit and being physical i know vic soto said what was your takeaway from the first scrimmage and he said our defense loves to hit and so i think that's the difference too i think you're having a whole side of the ball really emphasize being physical and we're starting to see that I think and, and even Orlando said it, it was they didn't they were a little skeptical in the first couple games of 2020 he said there was a lot of uh, trying to run guys out of bounds instead of just going and hitting and so I think uh, this is what's happening with a uh, longer time with this defensive staff so that at least is an improvement there yeah. uh, but like I sorry go ahead Ryan oh real quick like uh, I talked to Raymond Scott and uh, Greg Johnson uh, you know recently and man both of them were like talking about the culture that you know Todd Orlando was trying to install there and just it's really he's like yeah we understand it now but it's like run real fast go get to where you need to go hit people blow stuff up like I think they kind of all understand that now and it's if you're a defensive player you can do the wrong thing and look like a hero because you can just I can run I was supposed to go this way and I ran this way but that's where the play went and I blew it up then you're like hey you look like you did exactly right you're like you did it completely wrong if you're on the offense side and you do the way wrong thing the quarterback throws it this way you're this way you look like an idiot well you can you can make up for things like on the defense and he just wants everyone to go real fast you know play hard physical and go hit people and it's it seems like the players are responding to that I feel like Jamel Cook would excel in this defense then. Yes. Just go hit things, go fly around and make a lot of plays. And that was what he was good at. Not necessarily being in the right place he was supposed to be, right. but being in the right place where the ball ended up. Yeah. It worked out that one spring camp. Yep. Um, so as I mentioned, USC's second scrimmage will be in the Coliseum on Saturday. It sounds like this scrimmage will help determine the two deep for USC. It was interesting. Clay Hilton said, but that competition might extend longer for USC's tackle competition, offensive tackles. But then I got to talk to Clay McGuire and I was like, Clay has this timeline. Is that the timeline you want? And he said, I hope not. And so he said, you know, I, I, he said, 
the kids are making it hard for him because everyone is playing really well. And he says, but hopefully they don't have to uh, go longer. Because I think to him, he really understands the importance of establishing that chemistry with that five and the rotation, how that can impact people. But Jacqueline, what have you seen in that competition? Who is your guess as to what the starting five looks like? I mean, <laughs> we've seen Cortland Ford back at left tackle this week. Um, and we've seen Jonah Monheim playing right tackle with the first team, which, you know, this is coming off the scrimmage and we saw some adjustments. We said Monday, this is different. Let's see if it continues throughout the week. And it has now Jalen McKenzie has, you know, was been demoted to the second string this week, but he has also been getting some first team reps. They continue to mix and match uh, at different times in practice. So I think it's an ongoing battle. And I feel like that they're giving a really hard look at Jonah Monheim at right tackle and deciding because I think Clay McGuire told you, Keeley, that the Cortland Ford is better on the left side and is more comfortable there. Yeah. So I think they want to see, okay, if, if he's not as comfortable on the right side, can Jonah be more comfortable there? How do we feel about it? I talked with Andrew Voorhees. Andrew Voorhees is going to be in the mix um, somewhere. Don't know exactly where. Brent Elon is going to be at center. I know Andrew Voorhees is going to be at one of those other spots. The rest, I feel like, is up in the air. Um, and I talked with Andrew Voorhees, and he said, you know, I feel really comfortable with both Cortland Ford and John Monheim behind beside him. He said he's got a great relationship with them. And he said, and this was something that, that Dante Williams said as well about the DBs and someone else said as well, but he said we were able to spend time with each other during the off season and, you know, novel concept, but they weren't in the past. So he said they, you know, have been able to catch those freshmen up uh, a lot quicker this off season, just because they've been able to hang out. They've been out, you know, those freshmen can pick their brains and whatnot, um, you know, when they're off the field rather than everyone being kind of separated because of, of COVID and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm big. I'm a big Jonah Monheim fan. Um, <laughs> And I feel bad because we make fun of that recruiting class, like up and down, right? Like it was pretty bad. But you know, there's some there's some real players that have come out of uh, that class. You know, like the two two Pelotus and Gary Bryant, and I think Monheim is one of them. Um, just such a personable kid. And when you watch him play out there, if you got to see the video we shot of the uh, one on ones worth the safeties, I mean, he did really well. Him and Corlin Ford both, I thought, uh, excelled at those drills. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what they do because Corlin Ford was the dude in the spring, right? And then Monheim gets like a week at left tackle, looks really good too. Now they put Ford back there. Does Do they put Monheim at right tackle and McKenzie moves into guard or isn't in the starting lineup? Like that would be, you know, for Clay Helton to bench a, like, you know, with a fifth-year player like that. Like I, we haven't seen stuff, you know, Toe Lobendon was his, uh, the love of his life. Like he wasn't going to bench him for anything. Um, are you going to bench a guy like Jalen McKenzie? Uh, I don't know. I think there's still some good options there. I think they probably, what, like seven, eight guys that they feel pretty confident with. I mean, Justin Dietrich is someone you could fill in yeah. almost anywhere. You know, does Jimmins end up being the, the right guard and, um, you know, Voorhees is the left guard? There, There's definitely some options there. Just from what we saw in the spring, my gut says Cortland Ford's going to end up being the left tackle guy. But seeing Monheim there like six practices in a row or whatever it was, you're like, oh, maybe, you know, they gave him a pretty good look there. Well, I asked McGuire, I was like, from an evaluation standpoint and just reporting, how much should we take away from each development we see in practice? And I mentioned how Jalen McKenzie was with the first team on Saturday in the scrimmage, and then he hasn't really been with this first team since then. He was like, oh, it's something we do and we're rotating, so I don't know how much we fully take away from that. Um, but I thought it was interesting. Eric McKinney asked him about, you know, just the mental load for the two freshmen, Jonah Monheim and Cortland Ford, and how they're taking in the playbook, taking 
and flip-flopping sides. And he said that, uh, like you mentioned, Shotgun, Cortland Ford is actually handling one spot better, and that's the left side, whereas Jonah can flip-flop from both and is at least handling that better, which I thought was interesting. And then the other note was that he was like, everyone mentions the tackle competitions, but it's still a competition inside as well. So that's something that we should watch out for as well. So I think it's just going to be an interesting battle uh, to see who, who actually starts. Yeah, well, I mean, you got returning starters at guards. You, you don't really... At the you're tackles, yeah. at four spots. Yeah, the, now, the left tackle is the big one, right? Yeah. Like that's where that's why you're getting more attention on that. But the fact that there could be some switching and Monheim, when I talked to him, was like, "Yeah, you know, you just have your one foot forward, your other foot forward." He didn't seem to care, <laughs> left side or right side. He was just like, um, "Yeah, I don't know." The, one of the big things for the offensive line, um, you know, talking with Andrew Voorhees, Keely talked with Brett and Elon, talked with Clay McGuire is they've simplified the calls. Yeah. So you have those two freshmen that you're asking to step in and, and be one of them be a starter potentially. Um, and they've been able to catch up a lot quicker because they've simplified the calls. And the way it was kind of explained to me is that before, you know, if a guy moves from one gap to another, each individual may make a call. You know, the, the guard may, may make a call to the tackle or the tackle may make a call into the center now it's just one call. Now I don't know exactly who's making that call. It could just be Brett Neilan making all the calls, or you know it could be passed down the line. I don't know exactly you know how it's being done, but it's just one call. So you know it's we're going to block this way. It's going to be a man-to-man block, a zone block. It's going to be a left to right, whatever it may be. But it's just one simple call. So the communication is across the board, and you're not having any mix-ups there. And I think that makes it a lot easier, a lot simpler on the the young guys because they can get that call from someone else, and they don't have to make a bunch of the calls themselves. That type of thing. So yeah. I think that's you know uh, has expedited them being able to jump into the mix, and I, I think that makes it a lot simpler. You know, because the big question is right now with the mixing and matches so much is getting that camaraderie, getting that communication down. I feel like that makes it a lot simpler for the communication part of it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brendan Elon said there's a lot of chatter prior to the snap uh, in, in previous seasons, and he said it's way simpler now. And then Clay McGuire said it was just an easy streamline. You know, you don't have to overload the guys in that sense. Um, I'm actually going to jump into some uh, callers and then questions afterwards because we have a lot of questions. So we'll get to that first. Let's go to our buddy Dave from Iowa. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, Tunnel Vision. Dave from Iowa once again. First off, you know, I was kind of disappointed that Coley didn't call last week. You know, I'm inviting him in to, you know, call it. It's always great to hear someone from Iowa. But my main question is, uh, you know, Ryan, I heard uh, I, I, uh, I heard of how, like, you know, this, this season should be easier than previous seasons. And, and, like, from that perspective, we should be doing a lot better, and therefore the brand of USC is get, would be getting better. However, I'm just curious of, you know, how, like, how, how is the brand going to grow with, you know, us taking, you know, losses to Oregon and, you know, just losing players out of state or losing players in state? I'm, I'm a little confused of, like, you know, where, like, how will the brand keep growing if players keep going out of state? Love to hear your thoughts. Hey, Dave, thanks. Um, so I think you're a lot of times the people are, are equating to how did you do right now to what the brand is? The brand is your history. The brand is everything that goes behind the 11 national championships, the seven Heisman trophies, the kind of draw you get for television games, you know, playing Notre Dame and uh, in South Bend, all that kind of stuff. That's part of the brand. USC separately this year has a much easier schedule than what they were scheduled for last year. They're going to be favored in probably 11 of their 12 games. Um, they probably won't win all 11. They should. I'm going to say you should. Like, There's no reason USC shouldn't win the Pac-12 this year with the talent and everything coming back. 
I think they're going to do better this year just because you don't have Alabama, you don't have Oregon, you don't have Washington. All those teams aren't on the schedule. I think Arizona State might be a mess by the time USC plays. I mean, I'm still waiting for that other shoe to drop. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. you got Utah at home. There's all Saturday games. It's set up really well. Um, they could go 9-3 and three and still want to – it's still not going to be good enough because I don't think – I mean, they should be better than that. I mean, this should definitely win – double digits this year, but that doesn't really have anything to do with the brand. It doesn't make the brand a little bit better if USC makes the Rose Bowl this year. It's like, or, you know, whatever. Like, that's fine. Like, you win the Pac-12. It's like, okay. Um, but, you know, they've won the Pac-12 like once in the last decade. That doesn't matter about the brand. Now, you can deteriorate the brand over time, and if there was like 10 more years of this, and there's a couple five and seven seasons mixed in there, yeah, I think you would hurt the brand. But for the most part, you can help the brand if you have like a bunch of good seasons in a row, but the brand is kind of what it is. It's based on, you know, decades, not just what, you know, the last couple of months or whatever. Yeah, it's based on decades more than months. Um, so the months of a season is not going to uh, determine, but a decade of ineptitude is where they're at right now. So if they have another decade of that, then you turn into Nebraska. Yeah. And if you have a little bit more than that, then you turn into, you know, you, you turn into an SMU or something. Um, so it, it, it's something that's continuous there. Losing the player, the local players, that hurts – you know, the local interest, I think, from the high schools, like, yeah, you want to root for your teammate, you want to root for the kid that went to your high school, but you're building the brand in Texas, you know, that's becoming much more of a USC territory right now in East Texas because of all the guys that they're bringing from there. So it's kind of a give and take in that way. But if they win, it doesn't matter. Now, if you keep losing, that's that's going to hurt the brand much more than losing some recruits. And if they win, then more recruits will come. That's As Gerard Martinez will always say, if you win, they will come. Yes, Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Dave. It's a Iowa fraternity because he's trying to encourage uh, Coley to call as well. But we got someone from California. Next up, it's Adrian from the Valley. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me on the show. Um, I just had a question, kind of like just backtracking off what he asked, because, you know, the more I think about it, the more it's true. We have like a really big Texas connection nowadays, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all know the Texas kids can play football, but... I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, is this kind of a good thing since, I mean, I keep hearing this talk to teams like TCU, Oklahoma State, wanting to join the Pac-12, of, there's those talks of them merging in with us. I guess in, in, in the long run, wouldn't it be kind of good to kind of keep that base there so we can have those Texas kids that can say, oh, you know what, uh, we could play in Fort Worth every year or every other year, you know, get family to see us? Um, or do you feel like we just got to reclaim the West Coast because it seems like Oregon – Ohio State and Alabama have just been coming in and plucking, uh, plucking up the big guys. Like, I really am anxious to see where Ernest Green goes. Like, wherever Ernest Green goes, I feel like kind of will tell me what the forecast of the future will be for recruiting on the West Coast. So you talk about the uh, offensive tackle from St. John Bosco. I've got to see him a couple times in the spring, actually. Yeah, he's a great player. I still think you have to take care of home first, no matter what. I think USC is in a unique position right now because they just brought in a whole bunch of coaches from the state of Texas. And it's not just recruiting high school players. You're getting transfers that were recruited by these guys. Uh, you're not going to have people that, you know, it, when you're getting a guy on the transfer portal, there's reasons why a lot of the players are in there. And sometimes there are people that aren't great locker room guys. Maybe they didn't get along with the team. They didn't get along with the coaches. When you're getting Texas transfers and you have a couple of Texas staff members on your staff and they recruited those guys, they were in the locker room with those guys, they were in meetings with those guys, they can vouch for them like, look, we can bring him in and he's not going to disrupt our chemistry. 
that's great. But you can't do that all the time because you're just not going to be hiring. You know, maybe you will, but you're usually not hiring new coaches um, a whole bunch of times. And you're going to get their former players. Uh, the transfer portal allows you to do that for a little while, but I think that's a shorter window. I think long term, if this staff stayed together for the next five years, I think you would have to see the Texas stuff still happening, but not as much of an emphasis, and there would be a lot more emphasis in Southern California, just my take on it. Well, you want to be able to cherry-pick from other parts of the country, but that needs to be the case. It needs to be cherry-picking. You need to be able to close the door, close the the recruitment of the local kids that you really want. It's not like all these kids are leaving US, leaving Southern California and USC. It's like, yeah, we didn't really want them. You want a guy like T-Mac, Tetoro yeah, yeah. McMillan, who just committed to, to Oregon. You want a guy like Makai Lemon, who, who committed to Oklahoma. Um, you, you know, those are high-end guys. Now, they've done a good job of identifying weaknesses on the roster and going to the transfer portal and picking guys up. But part of those weaknesses are because you're not recruiting as well and you've had some guys leave and different things. But you need to recruit better at the wide receiver position. You need to recruit better at the running back position. You can't rely on on transfers all the time. At least I don't think you can now. We'll see how the transfer portal plays yeah. out. It could eventually, like you can just get rentals at, at one position, but you're eventually going, you know, similar to the one and done with basketball. That works out and can work out a, a good amount of the time. But you can also look at, you know, a, a Duke program and, you know, has been consistent and been getting those guys. And they really struggled this past year because one of the one and done guys decided he wasn't going to play the rest of the season. You know, those type of things, if you don't get the right guys and it can really struggle. So it's easier to get the right guys in and get them into your program and have, the, you know, your philosophies and your culture with freshmen and build them up and you know they you know they sit the first year and they play as our season progresses rather than trying to bring in a guy to start for you immediately because he's a grad transfer or you know he's a transfer from somewhere else and he has one or two years of eligibility and it doesn't work out. And then you feel like you're in a hole at a position. So they need to recruit better locally, but it does you do want to be able to cherry pick from a place like Texas and that's where the connections are. USC in the past was able to cherry pick from the Tampa area, from you know Florida, because they had those connections with Monty, Monty Kiffin, uh, with Kenyatta um, Hudson as well. So they were able to pick up guys like Nelson Aguilar and Leonard Williams. So it's going to be a while about where your coach connections are, more so than with you know the potential of expansion. Thank you for the call, Adrian. We appreciate it. Well, the Iowa Beacon was sent out, <laughs> and it was it was heard. And uh, Coley is on the line. Hello, you're on Tunnel Vision. <laughs> Hi, hey, thanks for having me, Tunnel Vision. And yes, I saw the Iowa Beacon. It's state law if you get called out by a fellow Iowan, you have to respond. <laughs> of course. Um, so my so my question is, uh, gentlemen, Keeley Ryan Shotgun. Week zero opens. We're going to be watching college football in ten days. Uh, what game are you going to be tuned into? Uh, UCLA plays against Hawaii, and Nebraska plays Illinois. There are a few others, but anything um, that you will be watching on week zero. And thanks for your time. And anytime you want to come to Dyersville and uh, play baseball in the corn, we'd love to have you. Thanks. Yeah, Thank you. Shaka would love that. I've been, I've been to Field of Dreams. That's Abby. my Twitter avatar. Um, there was so much fun watching, you know, some highlights from that game. I didn't get to watch the game itself, but yeah. uh, the MLB game there. But uh, I like the week zero, just like UCLA get to play Hawaii at the Rose Bowl. And that's like their tune up before LSU comes to town. So they get a little, you know, they probably be a little vanilla. Hawaii be kind of a spunky team, but they get to play 
in week zero, and then LSU comes in. And maybe actually get a non-conference win. Maybe get their first non-conference win under Chip Kelly, and then LSU gets to have their first game 3,000 miles away from home. Set up pretty well for Chip Kelly to go from no conference wins to maybe a huge one against LSU. But if you want to fight like coaching carousel stuff, uh, Illinois and Nebraska, Scott Frost is in a world of hurt there right now. Uh, this seems, you know, they got a new AD. Like, uh, yeah, and then they just had this NCAA scandal thing coming on. What was it? I forget what was their thing was. Uh, Nebraska? Oh, they were, like, having coaching, workouts during, yeah. yeah, coaching during the COVID the shutdown stuff. So that's that's not going to look be looked at well from his peers. But, yeah, that, I mean, he could be coaching for his job in week zero against, what, Brett Bielema coming back to Illinois? <laughs> so that's a that's an awesome week zero game. Or if you read the, the Twitter account of the Illinois, Burt Bielema. Burt their Bill. first uh, post <laughs> the graphic was Burt Billima. Yeah, so that's that's a really good one. I mean, that's a you know Big Ten game. Look, and- week zero games are always going to be devoured because <laughs> so you've exciting. been waiting so long. <laughs> um, so it's you know it's the same thing with college basketball. You know when they would have the tip off, the ESPN would basically have twenty four hours. I'm watching the St. Mary's Gonzaga game at you know back in Georgia at you know at, at three in the morning or whatever it is. So the week zero games, everyone's going to be, you know, watching and tuning in. But the UCLA one, I think was interesting because of that. I've already picked them to, to beat LSU. So I've been telling oh, everyone, yes. I think that they're going nice. to win that game. So I got to see what they look like week one. <laughs> yeah. Including on tunnel vision, week you zero. made that prediction. Well, thank you, Coley, for calling. We appreciate it. One last caller, and then we'll jump into questions. It's a Parastyle podcast voicemail legend, if I do say so myself. It's Curtis from Marino Valley. Curtis. Yep. Hello, you're live on tunnel vision. Hey. Hey, everybody. It, I finally get to call. I usually work at this time, so I happen to be off and caught the show. <clears throat> so Glad to hear it. My question, my question and statement is, what does the panel, the whole panel, and the Peristyle think we're going to face offensively, percentage? How often are we going to see drop seven and drop eight coverages? Nobody's going to play man against us. It's too dangerous to do that, no matter how talented the defense is. They have to play zone. These are soft defenses. Everybody's dropping back. And I really have a problem with drop eight. There's only two people coming. How come five people can't stop them? How come With three people, how come five people can't double people and, and break those guys down? Keaton should have more time to throw when they only – send two people maybe they're coming from different places and they're not seeing where they're coming from i don't know but what what do you think we're gonna see it all the time well thanks curtis uh yeah i think curtis has nightmares about that byu game from a couple years ago (laughs) still does that sort of was like the blueprint to like hey what should you do against uh this team and it, it worked Extremely well. I don't think we've seen it as much. And there's going to be some stubborn coaches like Utah a couple years ago. Played Stanford. a lot of man-to-man. And they, yep. they got torched by Matt Fink. Stanford likes to do that kind of stuff. There's some teams that are going to do what they do. When you look at the paper, you're like, yeah, we probably shouldn't do that against this team. Yeah, I think Graham Harrell has said it best. He's like, the teams that normally play man-to-man all the time, You know, it's hard to just suddenly switch in a zone because – you move in the wrong direction, you open up a big hole, and suddenly a Drake London over the middle pass turns into a 20, 40, 60 yards. Um, so it's not exclusively going to be that because I think USC has shown 
you know, they've improved from that BYU game. Keaton Slovis in particular has improved from that BYU game. Now we've seen some of the freshman quarterbacks. There was a, an uh, Isaiah Paul Mao interception of Jackson Dart was very similar to where you're trying to make something happen. There's too many defenders out there. Um, but I think, you know, I don't think USC will face as much of it because I think the running game is going to improve. And I think that's a big part of it. You can drop eight much more frequently if you know, you know, you can drop eight much more frequently than drop seven if you know that they can't run the ball against you. You know, so I, I think that's a big thing. And uh, I can't remember who, who was talking about it. I watched the video. I wasn't in the interview itself. But someone was talking about how, you know, if you can run the ball, then the, the linebackers have to come downhill versus – you know, being able to immediately turn and sprint backwards into his own coverage. And then Mike Jinks even talked about with the running backs, if they can pass pro a little bit better, you know, identifying where that extra person is coming from. Do I need to stay in versus getting outside? And he said, hey, if we identify, you know, a second earlier that, okay, there's no one coming. I need to get out and be an option on the wing. You take that wheel linebacker out. Now you open up another hole in the zone. And those are the type of things that I think, we should see from the offense this year. I think those small steps should finally, you know, be realized in this offense that we were expecting last year. You know, I think Keaton Slovis is going to be fine throwing into windows. He had a beautiful throw today uh, to one of the tight ends over the middle where it looked like, you know, it's one of those like movie plays where it seems like three different people have a chance to knock it down and it just fires and it goes right through. It was in a zone coverage. I think Miller Moss has done a really good job, uh, you know, identifying some holes in the zones. And, you know, that's been his strength as far as a quarterback. I think Jackson Dart, the last couple of practices, has done a really good job He's of finding, better, yeah. finding some holes in, in the zones as well. So it's something they're definitely facing in practice. They're not being blitzed every single play. It seems like a lot of times for those offensive linemen, they'll tell you that. Uh, but uh, I think that. They're going to be much better at it just with the the improved development of the offense as a whole. And I think Curtis's point about like, yeah, why aren't you blocking three guys? You know, Shotgun brought up some of the communication issues that they weren't really everyone had their own thing. If you got three on five, like there's a breakdown of communication somewhere a lot of times if you're getting a guy comes clean. Like that shouldn't happen. Like if he beats two people, fine. But if he just comes clean, you're like, how does five people not stop three or even put a body on that person? So hopefully with the better improved communication, the simpler calls, that stuff like that won't happen. You won't have a breakdown where you drop all these guys in coverage, plus one of your three defensive linemen breaks free and gets after the quarterback. And Gary had a comment that said, drop eight up the wazoo, which I thought was interesting because wazoo was one of the teams that tried to play man against <laughs> USC and just got torched by Amon Ross St. Brown. And they were like, what is going on? Like Amon Ross St. Brown was on a different podcast and was just like, what are they doing? Why are they trying to play us, man? Like, yeah. any team, why are you playing us, man? Makes sense. Well, thanks, Curtis, for the call. We appreciate you. Well, it's almost the top of the hour, and the boss man wants a tight show, so we're going to do some rapid-fire questions yes. here. Gorilla on YouTube says, uh, Trig and Manjack start week one, question mark? I'm going to go with no. However, why? I think they'll be in the mix. And now Manjack is a guy we've seen been getting a lot of first-team reps, and it's interesting it's been – 14, 15, 16, and then 13, 14, 15 at times for the numbers, you know, with that first group. So those freshmen being Man Jack and Mike Jack are both getting some opportunities right now. I think a little bit of that is Kyle Ford being a little bit banged up. Um, and then, you know, we'll see where when Gary Bryant gets back where he is in the mix as well. Yeah, I say no, but we'll see them. But just they're not going to be the first team guys. Victor says, <laughs> how are you guys ranking the quarterbacks right now? I'm going to go Slovis one. Mm, that's strange. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's pretty. I think it's pretty close. Like Dart was definitely the darling of the spring. I think Moss is probably if it's like a, if we're eleven rounds in, I think Moss is probably ahead on my card. But you know, Dart's got some some wins more recently, so it'll be 
interesting to see. Yeah, if we were marking each practice, like if there's been 11 practices, probably like six five or seven four. It's it's you know it's pretty close. Um, you know where those guys are, and even if it's seven four, the the wins and losses are, are really close too. So uh, I think Miller was very good the first week, and, and Dart was struggling a little bit with his confidence. But I think he's bounced back. He made a really nice play today. You know, you know, feeling the pressure coming from his front side, and was backpedaling and throws. You know, an off platform throw, and you know, showing the arm strength he has down the seam. Michael Trigg coming across, and Trigg makes a very nice hands catch again um, up over a defender, but a really nice throw, really nice catch as well. And that's the type of gunslinger mentality the Jackson Dart has for you, but he can get himself in trouble a little bit too. Yeah. Rapid fire shotty. That was kind of. <laughs> <Not really. laughs> we got a question from Mark, and I'm going to read it anyway. He says, Is Jalen McKenzie actually looking as improved as the two Clays are claiming, or are we just seeing an early front runner for the 2021 Keely or Ben Griffith's unwarranted hype award? Here's the thing, Mark. It was warranted. I promise you. I promise you. <laughs> I never saw Ben Griffith punt that well. I don't know what Keely saw. Right. That's a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> Are you hyping up Jalen McKenzie or something? Like what's No, it's just it he's wondering if Jalen McKenzie is getting hyped up too much. I mean, he's been like I don't well, hyped up like you've seen him on the field a whole bunch of times. I think we hype someone up that well, you haven't seen. McGuire and Clay said that uh Bobby Steiner and the boys have really worked with uh McKenzie over the offseason. He apparently cleaned up some cartilage in his knee. He's more using more of his core power, his hips are less tight, stuff like that. So I think that they're saying it's a new and improved Jalen McKenzie. Yeah, well we'll see. I mean, he's he's definitely in the mix there, but I don't know. Yeah. I, don't I, know I think out. he's improved. Um, you know, I'm not watching him every play. I'm trying to watch that left tackle spot a little bit more. Uh, just as far as volume of snaps, but I think the times I've been watching Jalen McKenzie, I think he's improved. Is he improved enough that he's locked down a spot? No, and and I think that's because those two redshirt freshmen are further along than definitely I anticipated. John says conference realignment, USC's ideal situation going forward. Which schools would comprise the ideal next iteration of the Western States Football Conference? I don't know what he means by that. Does he mean like add teams to the Pac-12, or what is he? Just what do you do with realignment if you're USC? Well, USC is in a power position. They, they, everything can happen for USC. USC can stay where they are and get a better deal in the Pac-12. USC can go to the Big Ten and make fifty-five million dollars a year on a TV contract, or USC could explore going independent and try to get their own deal and control their tier three rights and all the other rights. So, USC is in a power spot, but it's not like they need to figure. You know, they're not they're not going to be at the whim of whatever the West Coast does. Like, if they don't like what the direction the Pac-12 is going, they can go somewhere else. And there's definitely going to be a lot of suitors to uh, bring USC in. Gordon says, how about putting Liam Jimmins back to defensive line? No. No. He's I, think like, he's, I think he's going to be a starter. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, We got multiple questions about Josh Jackson. We reported yesterday that he did. He went down on an awkward play. Uh, and Todd Orlando was asked about it today after practice, and he didn't see, seem concerned. He said if he had his choice, both Corey Foreman and Josh Jackson will be back next week. So it didn't look – it didn't seem as serious as it looked on uh, yesterday. Yeah, it was special teams play. The first time we've seen him return a punt and uh, bangs his knee or whatever, you know, drops the ball, has to get helped off the field, was on the field for quite a while. He's one of my favorites. I like him out there. I think he's got a, a real sh- chance to start because, like, people pencil in Isaac Taylor Stewart, but, you know, he's missing practice for a, a variety of different reasons, and he has been. I think he's a great player, but you got to be available. And uh, Josh Jackson has been until this knee injury. Guy on Facebook said, I've been very disappointed with the use of tight ends in the recent years. With the recent injury to Fs, what is the current pecking order for the tight ends and the chances that they would see more action? 
I mean, I think Crumman Hook is still the number one. I mean, he's the guy that you can trust the most to block. Now, who else can you trust to block, I think, determines the rest of it. And, you know, we're seeing some different looks. We're seeing Trigg in the slot. You know, if you're looking at the pass-catching options, I think Trigg has been the most consistent guy there, especially the last couple practices. Jude Wolf has also been a good option. Ethan Ray, we saw him back doing some uh, some one-on-one, some competitive periods yesterday, and looked really good catching the ball and, and making defenders miss. So I don't know how far along he is to actually joining as far as team and how long it'll take him to get caught up on everything. But just keep an eye on him. You know, it, it, that room is deep. Josh Follows made some catches as well. But I think ultimately it comes back to blocking. That's the guy that's going to stay on the field for USC. And right now, it, it, Croman Hook's still the, the front runner out there, I think. Yeah. Brandon on Facebook says, out of the defense and the offense, which one will be the strength of USC and why? I think a defense, I just have more confidence in them right now. Um, I think there's less question marks. Yeah, there, there's some interior defensive line questions, but they got some options there. I just like the way that they've progressed. I could see this offense still be effective, but not be able to run the football again. And for me, that you can't couldn't be a championship caliber offense if that's the way you're going to be. You can win games. Uh, I think the defense is going to be closer to uh, a championship caliber defense. So I, I'm going to go defense. I'm going to go defense, but I think there's still plenty of questions on the defense too. There, uh, there is, but I'd say less than. I offense. just think they've been more consistent. That's the question. That's still the issue I have with the offense. And speaking of questions for the defense, Raphael has one. He says, "Who do you think the starters are going to be on uh, for the defensive backs?" I mean, Chris Steele it seems to be you know is locked in there. I think Isaac Taylor Stewart, when he gets back, he's made some plays. Just got to get him back on the field. Um, I, I think he's bound for a big season. Deg actually asked, is ITS ready to become the elite cornerback he was projected to be? I think he's ready to take that step. We'll see. But, uh, you know, from some of the plays he's been able to make. So I think that's your two cornerbacks. Depending on how many deep, how many safeties you want to put on the field, you could put five or six because they can do a lot of different things. There's a lot of different bodies that do different things. Chris Thompson has been a monster coming in the box and making some big hits, coming off the edge, pass rushing. Uh, but I think it comes back to those three veterans of Greg Johnson, Chase Williams, and Isaiah Polmau. I think someone's got to push them out of one of those spots. Uh, there's just a lot of talented guys that do different things. But unless you want to put five guys in there, I think those three are, are – likely to be the starters at least game one. Yeah, Josh Jackson can slip slip in there. We'll see. <laughs> Michael says, can we? Uh, can USC finally win the turnover battle this year? I mean, they did last year. They're one of the best in the country. Yeah. So, yes. Cam the big question there will be, can they do it without Talanoa Funga? Yeah. Who so, was at yeah. practice today? Yeah. Uh, everyone was very excited to see him, too. <laughs> it's always great when people love uh, former teammates. Uh, Cam said, how athletic do our linebackers look this year? We have been lacking at that position athletically for a while, question mark? Raymond Scott's athletic. I mean, he's uh, you know former. He played some safety and stuff, too. And uh, I like what I've seen from Goforth and Kanai Malga. It'd be great to see a Salamatuli Hapupu out there. But, um, I mean, he's big, strong, fast, all that kind of stuff. But I, th I think it's going to be an improved group. But it's Todd Orlando's group. I think he's going to take that personally. He wants that that group to perform, and I think you're going to see some better performance out of them. You can include Drake Jackson and Hunter Eccles as well. Those oh, are yeah. athletic guys that you know can drop into coverage and do some different things. Um, I talked to Tarlando today, and he said the three linebackers that Kanai's you know more suited for the middle. He's going to be your run stuffer. Going to be the guy in the box. He said Raymond Scott's more suited for the outside, and he said Raylan Goforth is a guy that can do either. So I think that's why you're still seeing a three-man rotation there, and you may even see some rotation in the game, sure. it, you know, rather than just a, a straight cutoff of you know they decide on starters and those guys are the only ones that play um, because of the different things they do. He said Kanai Malga is really good first and second down, 
and they're working on him becoming a better, you know, three down linebacker. So maybe it's you see it where he's subbed out on third downs or if you see something like that. I'm not sure exactly yet. Keith wanted to know over under 15 catches for tight end Michael Trigg this year. Taking over. Lot lot of options, so but so far right now, I would go over, but I'll change my mind next week. Under Ryan, interesting. Ooh. Okay. I mean, who like anyone outside? I would probably say under for anyone outside of, uh, you know, of Drake, Drake London. He's like, the only one that's getting fifteen. Like, I mean, for the year. Well, who's good? How do you know? Like, any one of these guys could just like play three snaps a game. Like, it's just you know we don't know anybody. Like, so I think your better odds are in the under of all of the guys outside of Drake London. Now, will they throw the ball to tight ends? That's a big question. This offense yeah. type of thing, but Bryce Dixon is the last freshman that, that Michael Trigger reminds me of as far as just a tight end. You think should get some opportunities just because of his playmaking ability. He had 14 for 198 his freshman year. So mm. Interesting. could be Who's right on it. Yeah. 2014, that was Kessler, Four, I believe. Kessler, yeah. 14 is under. And that was a... But he also that, had four that, touchdowns in that. That was the... Yeah, it doesn't matter. We're talking seven about games. Add extra points for that. Yeah. <laughs> a big T37 has says, how is Taylor Katoa looking? He's actually been out the, you know, he got banged up yesterday and was on Rehab Island today. I just don't think he's going to be a guy that, that's in the mix right now. I think uh, Rajon Davis is probably the next guy after those three that we talked about. He's maybe, made some plays, yeah. Maybe to us even more. That guy just, he hits people. <laughs> Every time he's in there at linebacker, he just hits somebody. So, you know, I don't know. He might be the guy, that, like you're talking about with the defense. They're like, do we don't care? Just go hit something. And he's the guy like, all right, I got you, coach. I can go hit something. That's for sure. Something. Speaking of Rajon Davis, uh, Eddie wanted to know, why is he not a day one starter? Because there's people in front of him. They're going freshman. Because you have a coordinator who is the linebackers coach, that means the linebackers get a ton put on them, which is why I think the linebackers were a little slow last year to, to really catch up with, with the defense. So I think that's part of it. Now, he does a lot of unique things. They can rush him off the edge and do some different things with him. So you might see him in some sub packages as well. Yeah, he's, great. I mean, he's a great player, but it's, it'd probably take him a little time. We've gotten a lot of questions about Kerry Colbert and his recruiting ability. Uh, I'm putting that nicely as far as what people have asked. What is your take on that whole situation? I mean, so if you want to defend Kerry Colbert, you go, okay, Manjack was what? Not the highest ranked player in this class, and he is an absolute stud. So now USC is used to just get the five-star guys on the West Coast. Now, if you get someone that wasn't ranked as high but comes in and performs like a Marquise Lee or something, you're like, okay, whatever, you're getting – you're getting your guy. I think everyone was asking about Man Jack this week, and you know they're talking about. Well, we just watched the tape. You know, Kerry Colbert talked about like check out the tape, I and mean, we just I don't care about stars. I watch the tape. He cut. You know, he's catching four touchdowns a game. Um, so yeah, I I I think he's done a pretty good job with some of the guys they brought in. Like you're looking at guys that maybe weren't the highest ranked, but still look like they're good players. But I think USC. That's one thing you can do with your eyes closed is recruit five-star wide receivers. So I think you need to be able to do that too. But at least the guys he's bringing in are performing. Yeah, Michael Jackson as well is another guy. And it's perfectly fine to go out and find other players that you don't that aren't as you know rated as high. Deontay Burnett was a guy that T. Martin saw there and was like, this guy just keeps making plays at, at practice. And so that's a guy that they ended up bringing in late. But those are the guys that USC was bringing in late while they were also getting the Robert Woods, the yeah. Marquise Lees, and those guys, the Juju Smith-Schusters, you need to be able to close the highly rated guys that are local because they have connections. They love USC, Makai Lemon, grown, grown up a USC fan, those type players. And then you can go and find the other guys, and whether that takes you to Vegas or Texas or wherever, that's fine. But if you have highly rated guys, their tape doesn't lie either. 
Yeah. You got to be able to pull them in. Yeah. We got a question from Tony who says, which true freshman will be a starter besides Corey Foreman? Don't know if Corey will be. Um, is there any true freshman they're going to start? I don't think so. I mean, Michael Trigg, maybe. That's the one guy yeah. that, depending on what you're looking at, you know, what kind of formations and packages you're trying to use, that's a guy potentially. But other than that, I think it's going to be a couple games down the road, now you, depending on if some guys get banged up or whatnot. But I think a couple down, games down the road, you may see some of those guys pushing a little bit more for either extra playing time or some starting opportunities. And there's guys on the, the edge that, like, if someone gets hurt, they could, they'll could they be thrust into the role. But as of now, I don't think they're going to be. Kalen Bullock is a guy to keep an eye on. Oh, yeah. Everyone is talking about him and his range and his twitchiness. And one of the things that stood out from Todd Orlando talking about him today was talking about how – he just has a natural vision of the field, and he can get from place to place. He said they got to put more, you know, put weight on him and yeah. whatnot. But he's a guy to keep an eye on because he he keeps making some plays and practices as well, and he can move to a couple different positions. So you know, depending on who all is available that first game, if someone's banged up or something, he could get, get in there as well. One of the safety spots. Randy says, if you had to guess right now, is this going to be a breakout season for USC or just more of the same? I mean, your your safe bet's going to be more of the same, but the problem is more of the same could be ten and two. Like literally, the schedule is that much easier. Yeah. That they could play pretty poorly. They could have a game against Washington State where they don't have any rushing yards in the fourth quarter and still win by three touchdowns or whatever. They could have some games like that where you're just still like, well, you won, but it doesn't feel great. But you do that throughout the schedule, and at the end of the year, you're ten and two. And how do you feel about it? So I feel like it can be more of the same. Uh, it's probably more likely. I think they'll be better, but I'm not willing to call it a breakout yet. Yeah. Coley wanted to know, as the press, do you see a difference in Coach Helton? Is he more accessible? Is he saying the same things as in the years past, or do you sense a difference in him? He hasn't changed, I don't think. Same. Um, yeah, same. Blaze wanted to know, he had two questions. Is today moving day for USC? It was, lots of traffic. And he said, is this SC band practicing now? They are, and they even made an appearance at USC's practice. Yeah, today. they did. I think they started camp on Sunday. So they are back, and it's uh, Jacob, I forget his last name, the new band director. So Art Bartner is retired. And Jacob, I'm sorry I'm forgetting his last name, but he's the new band director. I love move-in day, by the way. Just saying. It's nice. I always avoid practice on move-in day, by the way. Is that is that your strategy today, Ryan? You, well, no, because I've set up the show. And I thought, <laughs> but I try to always avoid move-in day because it's a nightmare. Move-in move day makes me miss college because I used to help everyone move in as an RA. Oh, so. yeah. No, I literally passed the buckets and I was like, I'm so glad I don't have to do that. It just it was so torturous. <laughs> Yesterday, there was people moving in, but it was like a taste of it. Then today, I'm sure it was worse. Yes. Uh, Tim has a question, and it's also a, a credit to your branding, Shotgun. He said, I know it's early, but has the addition of Maguire, Bobby Steiner, and the boys, and a year more of experience made this line play better than last year's line. I think they're they're making strides. I don't want to I don't want to say they're good, but they are definitely better than where they were last year. I think, um, and I feel like it's still up and down a little bit with the run game in particular, and a little bit with the pass pro. But the last few days, I think the pass protection has been much better. We only had a couple. I think there were two sacks yesterday. Today, there was only a couple as well. So I think the pass pro, and that's talking about first string, second string, third string. So, you know, even the younger guys getting in there, um, I, I think it's getting better. And, you know, talking with the players, they've talked about the intensity that Clay McGuire brings to practice and also how much he is pushing physicality. And, you know, from that veteran guys who, you know, getting 
feels like straightforward answers from them, they feel like the, the group is getting better too. And again, like I said, the ability to actually hang out with each other off the field and just building that camaraderie, that chemistry, which they didn't, they weren't able to do. And they really needed those camps last year with so many people changing positions and moving, you know, moving into the starting lineup before the 2020 season. We got a question from Walker Lamer who says, who and what will be the source of grit and passion on this team? That person who won't let the Trojans lose. Ooh. I think the first name that stands out to me is Isaiah Palmau. Yeah, yeah, I was, that's, yeah. Not, that's popping think, in my head, but I think he'll be a captain, um, and I think that everyone really trusts his leadership. Everyone I talked to from the safety group has mentioned Isaiah Palmau and what he means to that group. So I think he's the guy that, that it starts with. Yeah. Another guy would be Kanai Malga would, be, would stand out as well. Interesting. So much energy. I, I've heard Nick Figueroa be mentioned as far as like a defensive leader. I also just think Chase Williams has kind of jumped in the, mm -hmm. the IPM train of, of being that leader. It's interesting because uh, Orlando makes the defense line up before they enter the field. And now some of the DBs have like linked arms when they go in. It's, it's interesting. They've kind of evolved there. Chase uh, Williams also before the scrimmage on Saturday, you know, kind of pulled the, up to the group and you know, talked to the defense before. So showing his leadership again. DEGG says, is ITS ready to become the elite cornerback he was projected to be? I answered this one already, but yes. Oh, my bad. So. Yeah. Um, we had a question from Goldstein who said, will it be Voorhees or Ford protecting Slovis's blind side this season? Well, it'll be Ford or Monheim, I think. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Voorhees get some left tackle reps, but, you know, I talked to him and, you know, he says he feels more comfortable at, at guard because he's played more there. He has that experience. So I think that... He's better suited as a guard. Um, I, I think those other guys have, have, you know, have a little bit more athleticism, can get out against some of those quick rushers on the edge. But if you have to throw him in there, he has some experience there from his freshman year playing tackle as well. Um, so I, I think that it's a, it's a good backup option to have, but I think he's better suited for, for guard. So I think it's going to be Ford or Monheim, like Ryan said. Brandon wanted to know, will USC be one of the most penalized teams again this year? Probably. <laughs> it's hard to change that stuff. I will say they are implementing accountability a lot more this year as far as you jump all sides, you're getting pulled out of the game, and you're doing up-downs or pulling out of the practice. You fall start. We've seen even centers. You know, you don't usually want to change a center with a first or second team. You know, Andrew Mellick, you know, had a false start where I guess he moved the ball or something, ref throws a flag, yanked out of there. They throw somebody else in there. So I think that – that accountability is only going to help them. And again, that's identifying areas where you've struggled and trying to make changes at least. Right, but they're still going to be highly penalized. <laughs> it I'm is the Pac-12 after yeah, all. It is. I'm going to jump to our final caller of the night and then do maybe a couple more questions. No, it's no couple more questions. Ron from Santa Cruz. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hi. Um, first of all, I, I, I want to say that I'm probably the oldest the oldest person alive watching, uh, rooting for the Trojans. I started watching them when I was 15 years old, and I'm 90 now. Wow. wow. Nice, Ron. Thank you for and, calling uh, in. Well, you're welcome. I'm, I'm really crazy about Southern California. And uh, before I ask my question, I just want to say the one I remember most uh, – uh, running, uh, the best, one of the best running backs I've ever seen was or heard about was uh, John Arnett, and uh, you know nobody mentions him because that was so many years ago. But um, I've got a couple of questions. Uh, I, I want to ask 
the uh, whether or not they're using uh, they're going to use number 60 which is Maximus Gibbs 390 pounds and he's listed on the roster which I've got in front of me at uh, offensive line and I've seen clips of him on the uh, on television or on my iPad here and uh, does pretty darn good for an offensive lineman but He's pretty heavy. He's, he's big, and uh, my thought was, if he doesn't pan out as an offensive lineman, are they going to consider him to make him a nose tackle? He would be a great nose tackle for for the Trojans uh, if he can play a little bit of defense. He's going to he's going to take up an awful lot of space. So I wonder if that's been considered. Um, yeah. So he's someone that. Probably needs to change his body for the next year or so coming into USC. I mean, you might have saw him on that. I love that he's using his iPad. He's 90 years old. That's Ron, great. you're great. Call in all the time. Yeah, I love it, Ron. Um, but, yeah, I think, Ron, he needs a, a, a year of seasoning. I think with the whatever, like with diet and exercise, is probably something that's going to be on the uh, schedule. I haven't heard anyone talk about him moving over to the defensive side of the ball. Usually it's the other way around if it's someone that's not panning out. But he's a big body, uh, probably going to play guard for USC down the road. Um, but I think he needs to uh, get in better shape, lose some weight. And I think a year with Robert Steiner and the boys, Bobby Steiner and the boys, <laughs> that'll help him. Yeah, I, I think he's a guy that's you know a developmental player for you. Um, I, I don't think that he's a defensive guy in the future, even if he if he struggles, because a lot of the, a lot of times those guys that switch sides played both sides in high school. He only played guard because he's playing at St. John Bosco. You don't go both ways at St. John Bosco um, because of how much talent they have. But he's a guy that's already down to probably 360, I think, is where he's around now, 360, 370. So he's been putting in the work there. It's just got to be a continual effort. You know, in the offseason has to be the effort. You know, he can't lack on it and be like, oh, I'm out of season and I got go back to, you know, eating really heavily or whatever. Um, so it, it's going to be continual work and just molding that body, not just losing weight but molding it and adding the strength and that's something I think is coming for all those offensive linemen they talked about it a lot one of the things Jalen McKenzie said was really interesting is about you know Robert Steiner and the work that the the his staff has done is that they're working the tiny muscles and that you would think that didn't make any sense you need to work the big muscles right they're working the big muscles but he said you know when you're locking out as an offensive lineman you don't need just your pec and just your shoulder you need all these small muscles that yeah. are in your in your shoulder as well all the ac muscles and those type things around that that joint uh, and he said that's something that the the new staff is doing really well and, and is different from what they've had in the past so i thought that was really interesting they said that and he said he feels stronger he says you, you can see it on the field as well Right. Well, thank you, Ron, for the call. We appreciate you. Make sure to did, call in. Did want to point out, John Arnett, great USC Trojan, College Football Hall of Fame from the 50s, I want to well, say. I'm about to give a history lesson oh, here, okay. Shaka. He uh, played at USC at from 1954 to 1956. He was the second round, or he was the second pick in the 1957 draft. Uh, he played with the Rams from 1957 to 1963, and then he went to the Chicago Bears, 1964 to 1966. Five-time Pro Bowler. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, so, I did want to point out he was a both a USC uh, College Football Hall of Famer at USC, but then went to the LA Rams. This is before they moved uh, and then moved back. But, you know, so a double LA legend. Yeah. There you go. Thank you for the history lesson, Ron. All righty, guys. Bossman, you say no more questions. Yeah, we're going to wrap it up. Final thoughts before we wrap this one up. 
This is the end of camp coming up here. We're going to have the scrimmage, and then it's going to be like a, a weird mock game week kind of thing or whatever going into. And we got college football like just around the corner. So, so I'm very excited for it. So looking forward to all of it. Yes. My final thoughts are answering two last questions. Cam asked, Carrie Angeline had a good career at NC State. How do we keep a good athlete like Trigg to stay at USC, unlike Angeline? The position coach talking to the player usually helps. Yeah. So we'll start with that. That would be a good one. You don't have the special teams coach coaching them and never talking to them. So, yes. A another comment about Trigg. If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's most likely Michael Trigg carrying 100 people on his back. <laughs> <laughs> from Daniel. And the last question from Big T was, how would you compare Kajani Wright to Metu, Big O, and Evan Mobley? Who is he most similar to? Um, basketball five-star commit that they got last week. I would say he's closest to Chemezi Metu, a guy that can develop and become a much better player when he gets to USC as well, along with the talents that he already has. Not quite the talent that Evan Mobley is because no one's going to be that type of guy. And he's a physical guy in a similar fashion to Onyeka Okongwu, but he doesn't have tree trunks for, for thighs like Onyeka did. So <laughs> I don't know that he's going to be able to come in and bang, you know, just to, and be as physical as a true freshman as Onyeka was. But I think he's a, a guy that could be a multi-year guy at USC and could show some real big development from year one to year two. Alrighty, be sure to stay tuned to uscfootball.com. We have so much coverage of USC's fall camp, so yes. make sure you go there. But that's going to wrap it up for tonight's episode. That's Ryan, that's Shaka, and I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time. Bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.